0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Life is full of ups and downs. i found over the last few years talking to someone, especially a psychologist, has been a really helpful tool for me to make sense of my thoughts. I try to keep it a consistent part of my life because I love being proactive with my mental health. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy provider in the world. BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. If you're busy like everyone else these days, the good news is it's entirely online. BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash dill. That's betterhelp.com slash dill. B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot dill. D-Y-L. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Life is full of ups and downs. i found over the last few years talking to someone, especially a psychologist, has been a really helpful tool for me to make sense of my thoughts. I try to keep it a consistent part of my life because I love being proactive with my mental health. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy provider in the world. BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. If you're busy like everyone else these days, the good news is it's entirely online. BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash That's betterhelp.com slash betterhel B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash dill, D-Y-L. G'day guys, welcome back to Dylan Friends This week on the show, an incredible human Samantha Gash uh, She is an Australian professional endurance athlete She has literally ran across the world She's done so, so many runs And it is genuinely incredible She's a social entrepreneur She wants to raise money and make uh, massive change All over the world And that is she is definitely, definitely doing um, She also does some motivational speaking um, Which you'll definitely, definitely find out today She's, um, she's incredible And yeah, she, she's advocating for women's empowerment and social change and, and access to education for all over the world. Um, she's a former lawyer actually too, so extremely, extremely intelligent and um, yeah, she's uh, she knows exactly what she's doing and she's just an incredible storyteller. Um, why she got into running, what it did for her personally and then the impact it's had on her going around the world and, and seeing people um, in, in different forms of, of their life and what she can do to, to have impact on them. Um, but as I said, she's, she's run across the world in India, Australia, South Africa, um, India again, um, across the Himalayas and, in, and even in Bali, which, which is crazy. And yeah, her, her impact on, on everyone around her is, is incredible. It's, it's got a lot in there. There's humor, there's sadness and there's incredible resilience um, of what she's been able to do. I really, really love this chat with her and um, I know you will too. And, and just a trigger warning for anyone listening, this, this podcast does contain conversation around sexual assault, um, so please, uh, you know, just be careful when you're listening to this and make sure that that's something that you're, you're able to listen to. But, yeah, Sam does open up on, on some incidents that happened to her while she was running and that had a massive impact on her life. And, and, and she is truly incredible. I cannot thank her enough for coming on, sharing her story. I, uh, I can say this, that it will not be the last time we get her on because I've just, yeah, really loved having her on the show.
1: Hi, fam. It's Dylan's mum, Deborah. This is Dylan Friends. so was like, are you going to embarrass yourself? And I was like, bro, do you want me to do all seven verses? Bit arrogant. Didn't know all yeah. seven. <laughs> I've been in a bad team for 10 years, and we got a chance to do something pretty special this year. All you can do is put your hand up and say you're wrong. Banter is a way that guys
0: connect, a way that we can kind of play it safe with someone until we get to know them.
1: I try to fix people sometimes. I'm like, Dan, stop doing that. Just listen. And you stack on top of that the habit of not taking your phone when you take your dog. It's easy.
0: They had no other way to get out of the cave, and we either turn our backs on them, in which
1: case they're going to die, or we give this crazy idea a go. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.
0: Sam, how are you going? Ah! <laughs> hey, welcome to the show.
1: We're just like rolling. Yeah,
0: no, we just roll. We roll. We're very okay. um, loose, fast and loose. Oh,
1: well, that's cool. Okay. Well, that's maybe that should be my sign-off. Yeah. Do you know my sign-off to my email, like old school was like um, only the extreme and nothing in between?
0: I love that. <laughs> but
1: that's like 10 years ago, Sam, <laughs> and now I'm like completely the opposite I might still do extreme things, but I'm, like, heavily a moderate. Mm. Um, My husband and my friends would say that's not the case, but I view it. Like, I guess you change your threshold of what is moderate or extreme. But, yeah, anyway. So you mean
0: a moderate – like, you'll now – yeah, you're still doing crazy stuff, but you're probably just more calculated how you do it.
1: And my approach to it. And I guess my threshold and my tolerance has increased a bit, but – you know i do you know extreme ultra marathons or expeditions in kind of precarious environments where you know you could focus on the mileage or the elevation and think that's just crazy mm. but i'm not crazy uh, and I'm actually really methodical in my approach and like one step at a time. And like I break things up into periodic phasing from whether it's the physical to the mental, to the logistical, to the collaboration, to the social impact. And so it never feels too daunting because I just break it into chunks. Mm. So I don't feel like I'm only the extremes anymore.
0: Yeah. It makes sense because like you look at the, some of the stuff you do, like the run you've got coming up 1,600 kilometres Across you know the human land trails, and straight away that sounds absolutely ridiculous. But I suppose when you break it down, like from me, I don't think I could ever do that. But when you break it down, you see that as what you just break it by day by day, and because you're so across it already, you just know what you're going to do.
1: Yeah, I don't even. I mean, I know we recently put a post saying it's 1600k. I don't even think about that. What I think of is it's ten regions across Nepal uh, where I'm doing it with three women, well, two women. Mm. and myself, so that's three. The trio. Trio I've never met in person. So you've uh, never met them? I, I've met one of them. I met her in Tasmania before we did the Western Arthur's Hike, uh, which is in the southwest of Tasmania, really wild and rugged. Uh, and I only met her the night before at a pub, had a beer. I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> My friend suggested we do it together. Um, and it's like 80Ks, but it's like wild and you carry all your own stuff and it's like, you know, you talked about bouldering before up um, Cradle Mountain. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember when I got out of the car and I saw her and she had this big smile on her face and I was like, oh, we're going to have a really good time. Like it was straight away that moment. I'm like, this is going to be someone fun that you're going to kind of either be in the Hurt Locker or in this wild, beautiful, crazy environment. And for me, skill is so important, but the people I choose to share these experiences with are what makes the place so important. Yeah. And you want to kind of go into battle, as Mark would always say, if you're going to go into battle, who do you choose to take with you? It's not always the most skillful of person. It's the person that you deem to be the most resilient, the one that can sustain their energy levels, that can bring a unique component that you might not have. Uh, So I'm going with these three women um, and we all just have a different thing. Like I think I'm really good at getting to the start line. I'm really good at like crafting something from nothing, building the mechanics, of what the project could look like, getting the support on board, understanding purpose and how a vehicle can support a purpose that's beyond the mechanics of running across the country. Mm. But I'm so bad at navigation. Like I still, to this day, get lost in pretty much every car park oh. close to a supermarket
0: how scary is I, I get lost a, all the time. Got
1: to take a photo of like the pole.
0: You <laughs> yeah, when you haven't been to, you know, the Himalayan trails, it's quite hard to take photos. I can imagine things look very oh, similar
1: on but, your trails. So that's not my that's not my domain. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, you kind of pass on to someone yeah. else. But we all have different skill sets. So, like, together, we're greater than the sum of one.
0: I love it. No, it's like, well, it's like anything, any good team. And when we we're, when were talking before, and I feel stupid talking about my hike up um, no. at Cradle Mountain, which is about two kilometres versus what you're doing. But I went with people that I didn't know. I knew none of the, the guys that we went with. But I think it's almost awesome going with people that you don't know because you're just going there with like the same goal, no pre-ideas of what anyone else is is like thinking or doing or who they are and you just you just do it. You just do it together and you can meet people and you learn things about each other.
1: You're also slightly more professional mm. um, because when you know people really, really, really well, your tendency to um, maybe display the worst side of yourself like getting – be a bit more volatile, a bit more angry, have a lower tolerance. Like if it's your husband, if I was doing the Great Himalaya Trail with Mark, oh man, we'd be snapping. Yeah. <laughs> we'd be like barking at each other. But if you have a one step remove from them, you can stop yourself a little quicker and you go, okay, you know, I don't know them well enough to kind of bark at them and think that I can get away with it, which makes me think a lot about relationships. Like why do we always possibly give the worst side of ourselves to the people that we love the most? we love the yeah. most?
0: Yeah, that's a question I ask myself a lot. Um, referring to, to Mark as well, for those who, who don't know, um, Mark Wales, your your husband, who's a, a friend of our show, absolute legend, actually Sam's favourite episode we've ever done um, on the pod. And um, Can
1: we beat that? Soon, eh? Yeah, we will
0: today. <laughs> we, we already have, to be honest. I'm in awe of, of everything already. But um, it goes without saying, and I know you'd get this a lot, but this power couple situation is ridiculous. Like, I don't know, I feel like, I'm sure your children are gonna grow up to be very happy and, and do incredible things, but there's a lot of pressure that's gonna be, you know, put on them. Mum, ultra marathon, expeditions raised millions of dollars for, for great causes, father, you know, SAS soldier, um, and just all around legend. How does how do you two like what do you talk about over dinner?
1: Well, I say when we (laughs) created Harry, it was like a Great Dane mating with a toy poodle. Yeah. (laughs) So like the hardest thing that I've ever done is being pregnant. Yeah. Um, I got this condition called postular tachycardia syndrome where my heart rate, soared and blood pressure plummeted. And I remember for the last 20 weeks of pregnancy, like Mark, I mean, backtrack, Mark and I only knew each other for five weeks before we fell pregnant. Um, We kind of did Survivor, went on a road trip, um, hired a van that I called the Blue Bang Bus yeah. and um, created life. <laughs> so it, our relationship rapidly turned from like kind of unwinding from Survivor, learning to know each other, me falling pregnant and then getting this condition that totally changed the state of how I could function. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, couldn't drive a car. I wasn't allowed to be alone. You know, Mark's a really independent person and then he re- – like I was incredibly interdependent and reliant on him. So it was just this baptism of relationship fire. Um, But then we created like Harry and you might think that Mark and I have done all these things but I I think the things that people do are quite irrelevant. It's always about how you feel when you choose to do these things and that's what carries through moving forward. So like Mark and I believe that like most things are possible if you back it a lot, you put the hard work in, You know, I also believe, like, the idea of collaboration, like being willing to stand on the shoulders of giants to cut time dramatically, relentless forward motion, and most importantly just being willing to kind of keep moving forward when shit hits the fan Mm. all the freaking time. Mm. And so we both don't care what Harry does, but we hope that he just gathers some of those, like, life, like, resilient skills from us. Um, But he's probably going to be a gamer And he's actually incredibly good at the iPad, like every child post-COVID lockdown, Melbourne. And we just don't, we talk about it all the time. Like we don't know what our child's going to become, but we want him to be happy and passionate doing what he chooses to do.
0: It's crazy, isn't it? Like I'm at that stage in my life where you know I really want a family one day and you think about all those things. I've got lots of nieces and nephews and that nature versus nurture argument. Like you just can't go into it like you have no idea and i heard this incredible quote the other day that i love um and this i think sums up things a lot with with this without having a family yet and it was talking about like people how they they turn out and there was this like anecdote of like this young kid um who had a really tough you know upbringing um went on to like you know not not fulfill their potential and you know they lived a not a sad life but just not you know lived the best version of themselves and they said oh what happened they said oh i had a really tough childhood nothing went my way and then there's this other kid who went on to do exactly what they want to do, live their full life, found their purpose, found family, friends, everything was really well. They so said, what happens? they had a really tough childhood. And it comes back to like the kid and just what they do with it.
1: Well, and being a kid is a really interesting time because, you know, we read a lot of stories to Harry. Yeah. He loves to read. He loves to be read too. But I believe, and I remember as a kid, like I also like to make up stories about, myself, like who I'm going to become, what I'm capable of and what I'm not good at. And so if like I backtrack to my past as a child, um, I believe that I was, because I was very, very small. I mean, I'm four foot 11.5, obviously massive giant. (laughs) Um, and I was terrible in the sporting arena. So, um, you remember the schoolyard pick? Yep. Does that mean you were not good at sport growing up?
0: No, I was a gun. Yes, yeah, so that's yep. why you were Do <laughs> yeah. you, you know what?
1: You either remember the schoolyard pick because yep. you were awesome and yep. you were the captain who got to select their team one yep, at a or time the one. or you were the other. So I'd be the kid on the line going, don't be one of the last two kids, don't be one of the last two kids. And invariably I wasn't just one of the last two kids. I was the last kid. There was an odd number of kids in the class. And they'd
0: fight whoever took you. No,
1: the teacher would be like, you can select your own team. Oh, that's even worse. And you go, oh, I don't belong to either <laughs> oh, of these groups right now. Jesus. And it's funny how like – sense of belonging means so much as a kid but it also means so much as an adult. We can craft so much of our narrative or of what we're capable of based on the stories that we've told ourselves from childhood and they can rear themselves in a really negative way to adulthood and even though I've always considered myself um, wired and oriented towards big goals I realized really until my mid twenties, all of the goals that I was pushing for, I had a very clear idea on what the path would be and how to get there, and I truly believed that it was not hard to get to that spot. So, as a kid, I wanted to be either an actress uh, on Home and Away, <laughs> who didn't, maybe by the, the opportunity still there, <laughs> or uh, a lawyer for the UN. And I didn't pursue in the end either of those two career paths because it seemed really am- am- uh, ambiguous how to get there. And so I became a, a lawyer for, um, you know, the largest international law firm, Baker and McKenzie. But that pathway was really clear; like it was a complicated way to get there, but it mm. was clear. Uh, and so I would say until my mid twenties, I was very fearful of standing out for not being successful and to not be picked for the team. Mm. And then I got to my mid twenties, um, and I met Bud Tingwell. And you guys know Bud Tingwell. No, how old are you? <laughs> Twenty nine. Okay. All right, I'm 37. So Bud Tingwell, he was the actor on The Castle. He pretty much was he dearly departed, but he was yeah. Google, Google. Yeah. You're, as soon as you said that face, you remember. Yeah, I'm so a he face was guy. the lawyer um, for the High Court in the Castle case. Incredible, incredible actor, and um, he was oh, acting yeah. with a group of um, my cast because I did a, a double degree in performing arts and law, and he kind of shared what he perceived as his like secrets to success. And he's so humble, he never would have described it that way. Uh, But he said um, his whole life, his whole mantra was to just say yes. And it really stuck with me. I'm like, you know, when something sticks with you, because you know that you're not living your life by that way. And it doesn't mean that you should live your life by the successful tools of other people, but it's definitely something to consider. I remember going home that night and I was like, "Mm, how often do I say yes? Uh, And I was like, well, I say yes when it's really easy or when it's like very clear what the yes is going to mean. But if the yes is ambiguous or the yes is going to kind of make too many pathways that I don't know what those doors are going to open, I'll say no. Um, and then the funny thing is the more you say no, the less doors that get open to yeah. you. Or
0: well, the less you see them.
1: Less you see them and less you make them. Mm. Yeah. Because the the pathways to your next steps Yes, sometimes can be given to you by other people, but most of the times you've done something, whether it's through manifestation, it's conversation, it's putting yourself in new spaces, meeting new people, thinking differently, being differently. That's what opens the pathways, and yep. you've kind of done it yourself. Yep. Um, there is a caveat. Um, I don't know how much of your audience is women over their 30s, but the biggest thing that you can do now is say no because every single time you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. Yeah. And so being conscious of what you know, no, no is actually a yes. Yeah. Because it's like I'm saying no to doing your podcast right now deal because I'm prioritising the time that I have at home. And or, focus on
0: yourself and do yeah. your own things. Yes. So
1: it's like it's a balance. But in your early, like in your teens and your 20s or if you don't know what you want to do, yes is powerful. So I went on like a whole year of a yes quest. I, I, did, some, like, I did some like – I it's random stuff. What did you do? Um, I – Okay, so I went out to the national parks out west in um, the US. You probably wouldn't have heard of this tour called like the Green Tortoise Tours. I think they still operate out of San Francisco. I I wonder if their OHS is a bit tighter than it used to be, (laughs) but basically it was like a a caravan. Sorry, it was a bus that had been converted into like a hippie commune bus. Um, All of the seats had been ripped out. It was just mattresses in the middle. They made a cubby hole and where you would normally sleep, where you would normally put your bag up the top. Um, you could actually sleep. So they'd obviously lowered that part and you didn't know anyone so you all of a sudden you just sharing a little bit of space with someone random. Wow. But you would then get to these national parks, you'd pull out your mattress and you'd sleep under the stars. But, again, like this method actor in me, I'm like, I'm really going to embrace this time in life. So I had, like, cornrows in my hair with, like, the colour. I, like, sang Bob Marley tunes. I read On the Road. I really got into it. Um, but I loved it because I learned how to live really simply. Um, I performed circus arts to kids in Indigenous communities. Um, I was terrible. I did this doll-in-the-box routine, got laughed at the whole time. Um, but quite humbling to be laughed at by a group of kids and realising it's not the end of the world. Probably served me well for Survivor. 100%. Um, but I think the biggest thing was the marathon.
0: Yeah, the first marathon? Yeah. And where did that come about? Because Sorry, just to go back on this, This yes, we were actually mm. having the same conversation yesterday, uh-huh. just on on a mini about like what's – the sliding door moment in your life where you said yes to or vice versa, that maybe you regret now going, fuck, I should have done that. Because for me, um, when I, when I left um, my sort of first half of my career, I was just like, say yes to everything. Absolutely. Yes. Everything. I was doing everything. And I didn't even want to be paid for anything. It was all experience. Cause I think when money gets involved, we might be talking about different things, but when money gets involved, there becomes like a, then you have to do well or you have to do something. And I think, the money thing at the start—if you're trying to get into a new career or try things—and you say yes, there's no expectations. You're doing it for free, so you can do whatever the fuck you want. You can fail, you can be shit, it can be whatever it is. And for me, that was a massive thing. But now I'm at that time where I'm in this like habit of saying yes to everything. But no, now it's actually draining me. Yep. And saying no is going to be my new yes. Like I've got to slow down, and actually focus on the things that are important. But you, you know can, now, the thing I know is now. like
1: because you've said so yes to so much everything, you've got an expansion of understanding of how you feel when you do different things, mm. and so now you can. Like I'd almost get this mind map out and kind of write over the last 18 months, what are all the different pockets of things you've said yes to? Mm. And go like, which ones did I really like? And like, why did I like it? Did yeah. I like that because I got exposed to these types of people? Or did I like this because it gave me time for myself? Or it put me in a physical you know, domain that I've never been in before? Um, or did this challenge me? Like kind of identify what you like. And I love we live in this really cool era of like work where you can create a career path that you want. Like, I mean, who would have thought from your background that now you'd be crafting conversations with different people, adding value to people that you've never met before, creating ripple effects that you don't need to know. Like that's a career. It's
0: a a, like, and this is a question for you because I think it's on the right track, but did you find out what you wanted to do or did you find out what you didn't want to do? Because I think that's like the beauty Mm -hmm. in it for like people like I think we all come with this idea of like working out our life and we have this idea. But until you work out what you don't want to do, it actually gives you the idea of what you do.
1: So I'm going to say something controversial because I used to talk a lot about purpose. But like, do we ever really know like our purpose? Like we're always... Changing. We're always changing. That's the coolest thing about being a human. Like we are designed to evolve. We're designed to go on these unique new experiences and like you think I'm talking about adventures and they're just these physical adventures but I define adventure as a journey with an unknown outcome. So, you know, parenthood's been the biggest adventure of my life. Um, You know, yes, I still, you know, run across countries or I, you know, create a business but all those things are these extensions of my life and they change who I am. My purpose has stayed relatively the same but the vehicles in which I choose to fulfil it – keep evolving because I keep wanting to test myself and, you know, extend. So I'm really open to trying different things. Like COVID was a great example where there's a lot we potentially lost, but there's a lot we gained. And, you know, I created a new business that I would not have done. I've talked about creating an online business for female in the adventure space for years, but it was only when COVID came and I lost my entire Um, two years of work in one week. Mm. It just went. It was like boom, 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 boom. All the phone calls came. No, we're cancelling that booking and that booking. And Mark and I sat down at home and we're like, oh, wow, we have like literally no income coming into the door. We like took away our premium Spotify. (laughs) Um, You know, like we got down granular. Like Mm. what don't we need? Lucky we haven't extended ourselves with the home in which we live in and we don't have like assets that we need to keep paying for. But life got simplified and it was this beauty of like – I think that challenges are often gifts in disguise because you get to reimagine. And so it's like if all the balls are being thrown up in the air now because everything's gone, like which ones am I choosing in this particular moment? But that could change in two years' time. So during pandemic, I created a podcast and it was, I would say, relatively successful. I enjoyed doing it. But it was something I needed during COVID. And now that the world's opened and I kind of get to go back to some of the other things that I really liked but I couldn't do during a pandemic, I don't have time for the Mm. podcast so much. So, you know, but it didn't mean that it didn't serve a purpose and I didn't enjoy it for that time. So the biggest takeaway for me is, like, be comfortable with fluidity. Be comfortable with, like, the fact that you might change your direction all the time. And that's excitement for that because it means, you know, like, you could go for a promotion. You could change completely different industries. Um, You know, I do a lot of keynote presenting and I had a guy who was just about to turn 50 and he was, like, the big dog at the business. Um, And I was a bit nervous that, like, my talk, my talk sometimes gets people, they they leave their job. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometimes but it's not about that Don't it's not it's close. not about just getting people to change their careers it's about opening them to think differently mm. and you know it could be a really great thing for a business so I he said a couple of things to me leading into me speaking in that business that I was like okay I'm going to temper that stuff down just a little bit um but at the end he was the one that wanted to leave so I sat next to him at a dinner and, like, he's like, I'm about to turn 50. Um, he actually was about to do a marathon. But we had this really great conversation and he's just like, you know, I've got excellent number of kids. I've got this number of houses I've got to look after. Do you think that I could leave this? I'm like, fuck yes. <laughs> he's like, I'm like, oh, she can leave. I'm like, because just because you're leaving doesn't mean you can't go back or doesn't mean you can't do something different. Like, we can play and, like, open up space. And if you do it in a respectful, kind way, like, doors potentially, you know, they might not be wide open but you can keep them wedged open. Mm. Um, I think so many people don't take risks or daring because they're either constrained by the narratives of their lives that they've cra- crafted from childhood and they're hinging them, their potential because of that. So if I always thought, I'm so small, I'm physically weak, which is definitely how I saw myself, um, I wouldn't have done the world's toughest race. I wouldn't have signed up to do Survivor. Um you know, there's so much I wouldn't have done, but you've You've got to realise that your childhood or the trauma or the baggage that you carry can actually be your secret weapon to move forward versus the thing that holds you back.
0: Well, our biggest strengths I've found this year in doing my own work on myself, like my biggest weaknesses are actually my biggest strengths. Totally. Like they're in one way they weaken me but the other way they're like what make me who I am. So it's like if you can find that relationship with yourself um, and I'm not saying I've nailed it at all but like it's just been a little light bulb moment for me going, fuck, you know, these things that I hate about myself actually make me who I am and that's like why I'm good at what I do in some aspects.
1: Do you, you I think you would have been like me. As a kid, were you always told off for talking too much and not sitting still? Yes. Yeah, I could tell already. I've had
0: so many ADD tests like that they, yeah. they, they can't nail it down. Yeah,
1: I'm totally the same. Yeah. But the thing is I've now made a career talking too much and not sitting still. Mm. So the things that we can kind of get outcast for or, you know, we get in trouble for, again, like funnelled into the right type of career path that you might have to create yourself, you know, it can be the thing that makes you incredibly successful. Which is why our education system is challenging because they have to funnel the masses to move in a similar way.
0: Yeah. Um, on this, now we're going real deep into this, and I, I love it. Can do? Do you um, think that mindset changes first or language changes first? Because, and I'll go deeper into that. When you're going through that stage of like you're thinking, I'm going to say yes to everything. I'm going to say yes to everything. You might not have that self confidence in yourself to do all these things that you can do. Do you think that like the decision was made to go? You know what? I'm going to do this stuff. Or did you start speaking to yourself internally going like, I'm a fucking legend. I can do this. I can do this. I've already done it. Because the one thing that changed is like for me that I get confidence from is sometimes I think I, – I, I was told this years ago and I don't even know if it's true but it's a placebo because it works on me. But your brain can't tell when you're taking the piss or it can't tell when you're not being serious. So if you say to yourself like, I am genuinely the best, your brain goes, oh, my God, I'm actually the best. But you keep telling yourself like, I can't do it. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. You, you'll cap yourself. Does that make sense?
1: It does. and I, I mean, the mind and the body are inextricably linked and where one goes, the other will typically follow. Mm. I mean, there's always a breaking point. So like we took, um, I'm so conscious because, you know, a lot of people talk about mindset, but mindset's not everything. No. Like mindset's the thing that fuels you to prepare yourself in every other domain. So, I mean, mantras have been proven to be a tool to bolster your mindset, to let you think that something's possible, but it's not just that something's possible, that something's possible for you to put the work in to get to the place that you can do it. Mm. So I don't just wake up one day and go, I can run 1,600 kilometres across the Great Himalaya Trail. We often don't see the hard work behind these ventures that involve, you know, chosen sacrifice, that compromise, you know, that hard, juicy, uncomfortable, unglamorous stuff. We often just see the documentaries of the person running, suffering in that context Are sometimes glamorised, but the real, real stuff is everything beforehand. Like yeah. it's the prep to get the prep. you there. And so when I did my first ultra, I was in Chile. Um I was actually injured going into it. Uh, I did a um, partial tear to my interior tib fib and I was in a moon boot till a couple of days before the race. And there I am in Chile. I remember calling the race directors and going, oh, will you give me like a refund? Because it was expensive, like $3,500. It was like every dollar I owned. Um, and I also – convinced my university that I was an athlete representing Australia. And I wasn't totally lying. I was wearing an Australian patch on my clothing. Oh, do pay that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, white lie, white lie. Um, but they wouldn't let me get a refund. And I'm like, well, just going to give Gotta it a crack. It. And I say, so here's the change. So because I was injured, I knew I couldn't do it the way that I thought that I could do it. And I'm like, now that I'm at the start line, I recognize that ego and naivety, which we spoke about, that balance before, yep. E- na- uh, ego and naivety often allows us to venture into spaces that we're unfamiliar with. So we get that, we get to the line, but once you're at the starting line, ego has to drop. So I, I believe ego is awesome. Oh, I love it, But ego. it's like place at the right time. So now you get to the start line, you drop the ego and you do what you need to, to adapt to this unfamiliar environment. A lot of people don't know this thing of like patience and grace uh, and like learning and like the power of adaption. So... The injury was the best thing that I ever got Mm. because I walked the first four stages of the race, um, which is a little humiliating. Like I thought I was signing up for an ultra marathon run, but I was like hiking. People were like, oh, there's that cute Aussie hiker from Australia. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, ego. Yeah, Yeah. But it was, it's the truth. Like. But I was adapting. I was, I was adapting to the extreme environment. It was chilly. Like there was literally no shelter from wow. the extreme heat. You're on these salt flats, which are like these coral-like shapes that are like break apart the most sturdy of trail shoes. But I started to get stronger as a hiker. And I got up on day five and um, you sleep in these tents with all these like random people that now become your best friends and you're peeing next to and you're like, you know, wiping yourself with wet wipes in your private parts and no one cares. It's like beautiful. I mean, you... You play football. You know know what it was like in the change rooms. Um, And I woke up and I touched my entire body down and I was like, it's like so sore I don't even realise that there was a problem with my, you know, anterior tib-fib anymore. And I was like, okay, I have a choice. I'm kind of adapted to this environment a little bit. I could keep walking. what, What do I have to lose? Maybe I should like try something different. And I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, like what if I could be like the cool, maybe like cute version of Cliffy Young? Um, and I'm like I literally so you kind of talk about words and visualisations so I was visualising like Cliffy Young like I remember seeing those clips of him back in the day like this this is a guy who basically shuffled his way from Melbourne to to Sydney for those who don't know and so I had literally him in his mind and then I created a mantra which was relentless forward motion, slow progress is still progress. Shuffle all day long. Um, And I literally said it for 74 Ks. So when we talk about like what's the power of like words, I was trying to evoke a visualization to feel different. Like it's, I wanted to, the goal was to feel different in that moment. You know, we often embark on new experiences because it's creating space for us to work out who we are and where we want to go. It's not always about, like, the goal of running 250Ks. Like, who gives a shit? Like, woohoo, you ran 250Ks. Like, like, do you want a, a medal or the chest to pin it on? It's not yeah. the thing. It's, like, what you learn along the way and how you feel and who you meet um, and where you could go from that point. So I think words and visualisations can play a role, but don't ever undersell the work of the preparation.
0: That was beautifully summed up. Unbelievable. I'm a bit verbose. No, I absolutely loved it because um, I could never articulate something like that so well, but for me, there's always been like this constant battle when we talk about achieving something and it's like, what comes first? And you know, you go, is it the language? Do he talk to yourself? Is it the visualization or is it actually doing? And I think it's a mix of all three because you can't, just go, I'm going to do this and talk to yourself, tell yourself you're a legend and then just start thinking it and then do it.
1: People do though. And like, people do and like maybe the experience is like of the pain. But
0: you've got to have experience in it as yep. well I feel. Like you can't just go and do mm. that. You've got to be like running but it's all three of those things together can work.
1: And I also like I'm so – because I come from this background as a lawyer, I'm definitely um, a bit risk adverse and I also like to prepare people to mitigate the worst case scenarios mm. So a big aspect of all my projects or my the business I start is like being willing to have really hard conversations with those you choose to go into battle with, to business with, to partnership with, and say, What are all the reasons that this project will fail? Yeah. Like a pre mortem. And I didn't do it back in the day.
0: Catastrophizer? Would you put that at, would you say you're a catastrophizer? No. I,
1: I am th- Oh, okay. Really so, badly.
0: But I think you get the same part out of it. You get the same- Yeah.
1: People think it's catastrophizing, but I actually think it's a really great business strategy.
0: It is, but it de- I suppose- Depends
1: how you emotionally- Yeah, I
0: emotionally it. get attached to it. So and I'm I, the
1: opposite. I think I'm very she'll be right. Yeah. Mark's probably yeah. a bit more like you because of his his experiences led him to know.
0: Either way, they both get the same outcome though. Yeah. Really. But like, like
1: how much stress are you putting your body on day as you're doing that?
0: I'm, I'm putting- I'm getting so stressed about things, but I like to know what the worst case scenario is and yeah. how I'll then have plan A, B, C, D to get out of it. Because you're mitigating it. Yeah. So, like,
1: And people don't want to put the hard work in to going, to, let's call it catastrophizing. I like to call it a pre-mortem. Yep. Um, like what are all the reasons that this project might fail? By simply naming it, like so if say uh, across um, the Great Himalaya Trail altitude's a genuine concern. Like we go over 5,000, 10, 5,000 metre passes and potentially to 6,000 metre passes if the weather's okay. And we're feeling good enough to do those um, mountaineering passes at that point. Mm -hmm. So if we didn't consider the threat that altitude could completely derail and stop our entire project, we now have, we'll have three cards. One of our cards are What are all the things that we can do to mitigate altitude sickness? Mm. Next card, what are all the symptoms of altitude sickness? Third card, if we get altitude sickness, what is our process to dealing with it? So our team has been willing to go to a place that if we were just, she'll be right, we'll get through it. Like our biggest thing is like we've got to acclimatise, which is why I have that altitude tent because I'm a mama and I can't afford going away for two weeks on addition to a 50-day project um, to acclimatise in, like, the mountains of Nepal, I would love to do it. And actually, Mark, yesterday as I was trying to construct this chamber over my bed, our bed, <laughs> he was like, maybe you should just go to Nepal earlier. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> Come on, let me, like, let's cuddle for longer. Mm. Let's get high at night time. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been saying to my friends there's a little a photo of the outage chamber, I want to get high at night time, and they're not <laughs> getting what I'm meaning. <laughs> but it's just, like, you've got to go there. You've yeah. got to go to the worst case because you either mitigate it from happening, which is the best case scenario, or two, if it happens, it's not so scary because your mind's already gone there. Yeah.
0: On, on the simplest form of that possible and – people listening will understand this, but I always take this back to the simplest form. And one is uh, this video I saw on TikTok the other day, which you're talking about climbing mountains at the moment. I'm talking about this in just a life situation of mm. like anxiety or anything. And um, they actually said to, I, I can't remember the guy's name. He was actually one of the SAS guys off, Um, what's he, the channel on Channel 7 at the moment? The they SAS the show. A, SAS, yeah. Which,
1: which dude, Ant uh, He
0: was, no, not Ant. He was the guy with the Silver Fox. Jason Fox. Silver Fox guy uh, UK, Silver Fox. Oh, Mark Billingham. Mark Billingham. Could have yeah, been in. Yeah. Do
1: you know what? He's awesome. He was awesome. He's like, his experiences, we heard him speak in Melbourne when he was he's, here.
0: I love him. Yeah. Love him. And he did this awesome. You should get him on the podcast. I should, really should. We we're actually going to London. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it'd be good. did this thing, um, on TikTok and he said like, you know, how do you, um, deal with, uh, you know, like worries and stresses and anxieties in, um, what's a small tip? And he said, write down a list of things that are bothering you, cross off the ones that you can't control and work out the, and, and solve the ones that you can. I oh, love it. And I was just like, holy fuck. That's um, so And good. I do that now. Like I go yeah. if I'm really stressed and, again, it's like, you know, stress for a meeting versus climbing a mountain versus any – you can use this on anything you do. Yep. Write down a list of the things you're stressed about, cross off the ones you can't control because you literally can't do anything about them, yep. and the ones that you can put a plan in place, which is exactly what you're doing.
1: I love it. And it's funny because out of this, you know um, – I'm completely immersed in the project, but I'm also thinking how can the experience of this, like the the methodology of how we craft this be of use to everyday people? Because we're also everyday people. We've just got specific skill sets and our goal is this. Um, so we're actually looking to create a resilience uh, course online program from it with open space of facilitation uh, in addition to it. So I love that one because it is true, like what you can't control why are you putting your attention onto it? I mean, I think about that with social media, I copped a lot of flack um, during, I don't know if you watched Survivor this last I, season. I can't say I did. It's no. fine. Don't worry. No, I, just, I did yeah. a few things on it. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do? I stole an idol. Yeah, fucking. Yeah. yeah. And well, it helped us win. So, you know, I say us and everyone's listening going, you didn't win your husband won. Yeah. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the jury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, long story short, I copped a barrage of trolling. Um, and I think it's oh, the stuff. It was so it was so great. Um, but it was a lot about my physicality. It was a lot of the stuff that had nothing to do with like the show, but it was about how I looked, um, what kind of mother I must be, oh, wow. all this stuff. And at the time when you're in the heat of it, it's like so intense. But now I'm in my everyday life. I'm like, it's so much easier going, just put it aside. But I think we spend so much time consumed with what we think are the expectations of other people that That also affects the narrative of who we see ourselves and what we're capable of. So a great book um, is a book by Australian uh, author Bronnie Ware. She was yeah. a palliative care nurse, you know essentially doing some of the most challenging work someone can do, yeah. like help people transition to that ultimate unknown. Yeah. And I think as a part of that therapeutic, maybe like human observation process, she started to um, journal what were some of the most common regrets shared to her by dying patients. Now, could you have like any idea what some of those regrets, what Uh, they might've been?
0: I think the two would be caring what other people think, Mm -hmm. not spending enough time with their family.
1: Yeah. That's till they live through a pandemic.
0: Till they live through a pandemic. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest one would be not caring what people think of you. really.
1: number one regret, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself Mm. and not the life that others expected of me. Regret number three, I wish I let myself be happier. Both of those are about choice and expectation. But the craziest part is like we're so thwarted in what we think the expectations are about other people – no one cares as much as you think they do. Well,
0: you're not, you, you are the main character of your own story. Yeah. No one actually gives a fuck about you. They don't. And that, that's the the most beautiful part about it. No one – everyone's got so much other shit going on <laughs> that they really don't care.
1: But we also live in an era of outrage. Yeah. So we think that people care way more than they do because people have a comment or a statement or an opinion on things that they have no contextualization to it. But they plant that bomb and then they walk away and they've forgotten about it. And yeah. then they're focusing on the next thing for that moment. And that person – who had that bomb land on their house, is sitting with that, putting way too much emphasis and attention on it and starting to craft again this narrative of who they are based on this. But that person's like jumping over, doing some more bombs over there and moving across. Mm. So the more we can drop the expectations of other people and just truly live in what we think is important – the more fulfilled that people will end up being.
0: So a big, big one for me, and I would love to get your opinion on this, that like really helped me. Like I was a young guy, thought I was doing like killing it, doing all these stuff. And I realized like, fuck, I don't, I'm not really enjoying myself like mm. this. I'm not doing what I want to do. And I used to really care about people's opinions of what they thought of what I was doing, was trying to get into this media thing. And I was like, man, that's so fucking, you're a loser. Like, what are you doing? It's embarrassing. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I don't, don't like it. You know, I'm not, not keen on it. And then I realized like, what, what happened was, I was going into these situations being like, Hey, I'm going to do this. What do you guys think? You know, like, I want to get your opinions. And they were going, Well, if he's asking for my opinion, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's stupid. That's nothing. Then I got to that stage. I was like, Fuck this. I need to go and do this. I want to do it. I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks anymore. I'm going to go do this. And as I said that, people were like, Oh, that's a great idea. That's, a, that's an awesome idea. You should do it. And it made the realization for me. That if you have conviction with something you want to do and you know what you're going to do and you, you want to do it, people get the fuck out of your way and they go, wow, look at Sam. She's so dead set keen on doing this run. What a legend. Let's go and do it. But if you're walking around going, hey guys, like, i will oh, thinking about doing this run. Like, what do you guys think? Should I do it? Is it stupid? People chime in to give their opinions.
1: I call it putting your skin in the game. Love it. So... And there's a lot of people who, like, hear about, you know, someone like Ned, you know, living this adventurous life. Ned Brockman. Uh, Ned, yep. Uh, yep, who you had on the podcast. And then, you know, that he's, um can pull partners on board. And then what happens is I get a lot of emails from people going, oh, how do you get sponsorship? And I'm like, before you ask that question, are you willing to put skin in the game for the things that you believe in? you got to do it before you ask exactly. for that, so. Like Exactly. Because if you're not willing to, why should anyone else, like – back your idea if you're not willing to back it yourself. Mm. And I always, it's a really great litmus test for myself that when I'm willing to put my hand in my own pocket, I mean, firstly, every time I've kind of done it, um, support comes. actually comes, yeah. but you're also, it's so good for you because you're like, my skin is in the game. It makes me deeper committed. I do a better job. Like I really get clear on why I'm doing it. And since becoming a mum, like I just can't possibly do all the things that come through my brain or that I think are good. It has to tick so many boxes and it was almost a liberating thing becoming a mother whilst on the flip side you could see it as a thing that limits you, but it made me really clear on how I use my time because like that time is the only thing that time and our response are the things that we have. Our time on this planet, you know, it's obviously we don't know how long it's going to be for, but we have that time. And how we choose to respond to the circumstances of our control and outside of our control, mm. we have ownership over as well.
0: So, our response. What do you mean by that? So, I'm
1: so a lot of stuff happens. Yeah. Um. Okay. How do I give it context? Okay, you want me to go a little to yeah. share a little story?
0: Please do. I love stories.
1: Okay. Um. Twenty ten. Um. I was doing what's called the Four Desert Grand Slam. So it's four, two hundred and fifty kilometer desert ultra marathons.
0: First woman. Yes. To ever do that.
1: Yeah, just by pure timing, (laughs) (laughs) to be honest. Like, you know, I love it. I got the trophy for that, but I might just. First person to put my hand up for it. (laughs) And youngest, but then someone younger did it. But I'm like, youngest at the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, like, I laugh at it now and that's why I just don't do things of records because it's just so, like, (laughs) you know, like my run across India. I'm like, only person to run on this particular route from the west to the east of India. On
0: this grain of sand. No one
1: will ever do that route because I met up with 18 different programs at World Vision Support across the country. No one would take that route. It's the most bizarre route. (laughs) It's just like you know, it's so abstract and nonsensical. But um, so they were 250K races. You've got to carry all your supplies and a pack on your back whilst you're running. And they were in Chile, China, Egypt and Antarctica in that order. So it was really my first foray into ultramarathon running. Like, again, that baptism of fire. The first one was that one in Chile that I told you about. Mm-hmm. I got through it. And even though I walked four stages and I kind of shuffled like Cliffy Young for two of them, I placed first in my age group fifth female overall, and top 40 of the field, even though until I shuffled, I was in the bottom 40 of the field. Wow. So like dropping ego, letting my body adapt, and just moving at a conservative pace actually kind of gathered quite good results. I'm like, oh, wow. Like we can't be defined by the word ultramarathon running. Like, shit, I walked this thing, you know, but I walked well with purpose and- I lived in, like, the US for a bit before and all the old school runners were like, walk with a purpose, not a porpoise. And, like, I always had that going (laughs) through my head too. Next race was in China. Really started to kind of feel like I was more like a runner. And then I get to the third race, which was um, in Egypt, so the hottest desert on the planet. Um, And... I'm just a bit cautionary. I'm about to tell something a little bit personal. I'm totally Mm. fine. But if anyone has experienced situations like this, um, we can talk about that in a moment. But during that race, um, I was sexually assaulted by Mm -hmm. a local um, in Egypt. It it happened during the race. I I went out on my own and I basically wanted to pull out of the race. I kind of luckily luckily got got out of the situation because a guy on a moped came out across the sand dunes and my predator backed away. And so I was still by myself and I, the first person I found was the filmmaker. And I talk about this now quite comfortably because it's in a film. Yep. <laughs> so like, I had to kind of learn to be comfortable with it. But again, I learned a situation that was out of my controlling, which could have completely shaped how I felt about myself, became my superpower moving forward. Because at the time I I initially pulled out um, because I didn't drink any fluids in the 45 minutes before I got found because my mind was on survival to move forward, not survival to preserve my well-being. Mm-hmm. And then so like I, I was dehydrated. I still had 7Ks left of that day to go. I went to stand up and I just couldn't. I didn't have anything mentally, physically, spiritually in me to keep going. So they're like, that's okay. We'll just give you an average time for the day and we'll let you not do the next 7Ks. And so they dropped me back off at um, the tent, and I was one of, if not the first woman to be back at the tent, not because I finished the race, but because they like ferried me in a vehicle to get there. And so guys kept coming past my tent, thinking that I had won that stage for the females, and they were starting to congratulate me. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to explain the situation, but I don't also want to take their congratulations. And I was literally sitting in that icky space of. I don't know how I feel about this or or how I feel about the decision that I essentially quit. And I knew that it was completely justifiable that I quit from the race, but I'm like, do I want that to be like my permanent response to this situation? Mm-hmm. So after about 45 minutes where my mates came in and like I started to eat some more food, I was like, I've got to go back out there. Um, and I didn't want to let – in that moment I remember thinking like I just don't want to let someone – that I'll never ever see again, control what my future will look like for me. I want to change the response to what I had, to the situation beyond my controlling. So I went back out there and I remember I used my very precious batteries of my iPad, iPod at the time, like the old school one. This is 2010. Um, not a very good battery life, but I put it on and I'm like, I normally save this for the long stage, but I need to be taken to another place right now. And the film, the lady who was the filmmaker, uh, I just remember she wasn't there to film me. Like she just happened to be the person that stumbled across me and it ended up like she chose four people from that film, from that year to make a film about and... I guess if you get sexually abused by someone in a race, you're going to probably become a good character. Mm. But um, I don't think I became a good character because of what happened to me. I became a character that had an important story to tell about how we choose to craft the narratives that we want moving forward. And so like, I actually see that as one of my triumphant moments in my life. Like, I don't think about what happened to me. I actually think about how I chose to respond to it that I'm so freaking proud of. Like, I don't think I would be running today the way that I am if I didn't go back out there. And we don't always respond perfectly in the moment, particularly when there's a lot of stress and anxiety and overwhelm and we're literally at the brink. So like, let's put aside ultramarathon running, like all of us in this room have experienced anxiety, you know, intensity of overwhelm in our brain at some point. When you're literally at here, you think that there are so few options at your disposal, so the first thing that you sometimes cling on to is like have to abort, abort situation, abort goal, abort circumstance. And then I've done so many of these races now where I see people who have quit, but because of these ultra races, you often have to like stick with the race organisers and you have to see everyone completing the oh. goal that you wanted to do. And I see them and they're sitting there and they're like, oh God, like, I could have just started to walk. I could have put on some music. I could have ate some food. I could have had a conversation with someone. I could have shuffled when you reduce the overwhelm in your mind, not only do you gain perspective of why you're doing what you're doing, but you can remember that you have so few, you have so many options at your disposal to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I was, you know, sometimes relentless forward motion requires you to take momentary pause in order to reduce overwhelm to remind yourself of the options. And that's response, like that's controlling your response and like not putting pressure on yourself that we're going to be perfect in straight away. Like I'm still like I'm a human being. I'm like I'm volatile. I'm emotional. Like I sometimes have outbursts, but I really do try and refine and shorten the time frame of something that I'm then happy to stand the test of time.
0: Unbelievable! That's incredible. I really appreciate you uh, you sharing that story with us. And I just, I yeah, it's incredible that you've been able to through your own experiences just find that time to just know to keep moving forward. That's the first mm-hmm. instinct. Well, maybe not the first instinct, but it's what you mm-hmm. get to after. You know, being in that position, it's, it's honestly inspirational. So I really appreciate it.
1: It seems like it's the hardest thing to do, but if you know why you're doing it, and like life involves a lot of suffering, right? Mm. Like it does. Everyday life can involve some of it. But if you know why you're suffering and you redefine what suffering is, it's then not too hard to do it. Um, the Latin root of the word passion is paishai, which means to suffer. And I think we have lost somewhere along the way of these like aspirations and goals that we say is what I'm doing to live a passionate life that inherent in that passion is going to be hardship and challenge. But like we do it because that's where we grow, right? We, f- I finish these races and people don't talk about the times when it felt really good and easy. They always talk about where it got so, so, so hard, but somehow they found a way to move through that. That's what people remember. So like don't shy away and recoil to a place of safety and ease all the time. Like safety and ease is important. We're designed as humans to be in comfort zones, but then to also go beyond our comfort in order to grow and extend and evolve, which is like what humans are essentially designed to do.
0: Incredible. Do you only learn from that by putting yourself in those situations?
1: I think so. Yeah. I think you only learn through extension. I also know like now that I don't always want to be in extension mode, Mm. like, you know, like It's cool to suffer and like I like to be passionate but I also like to be in like my home in the hills of quiet and comfort and, you know, if I don't know if you guys, any of you have a kid but like I have a kid and like a toddler needs routine and order in order to function and flourish and so do adults. Mm. So it's the balance of consciously choosing when in our life am I in a place where I can extend right now versus when do I need to keep things secure and safe and ordered. So it's a constant dance. Like we're always playing with that fine line and sometimes you overstep it for too long and you just retreat and let the pendulum swing in the other direction.
0: Love it. A lot of the runs you do as well when, when doing this, and this is a question that we actually had a lot earlier before, but we've just been flowing. <laughs> we've been in flow state and I'm absolutely <laughs> loving it.
1: <laughs> you're literally going, you did not ask one question on No, the list. <laughs> I have not asked one question
0: yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of the things that you're doing whilst you're running, you talk about purpose and why you're doing it and... the the flow on effects for that. So um, would I be wrong to say like women's rights and social justice are two of those main factors of why you do what you do? Why is that? And yeah, that's the question.
1: Well, I mean, I don't always get to the the guts of that because I don't always feel comfortable enough to talk about the story in Egypt. But so when I finished that race, I reflected a lot on um, the place in which I was running in and the situation of what happened to me. And I felt incredibly relieved that I got to exit myself out of that situation that I possibly was able to fall back on. Like, you know, education is not about like the the academic stuff that we learn. It's our ability to know how to think, to think like light and shade, pros and cons, evaluate a scenario. Like that's what education's given me more than anything else. In many, many, many parts of this world, education is not a given like it is in Australia. Uh, and if you don't have education, it's very hard to seek opportunity and ways out of situations that are grave, or maybe dangerous or risky for you. So, I was running in in Egypt, a place where the rights of women are incredibly inferior to that of a man, and where situations like that happen on a daily basis. And those women who might not necessarily have a chance to be educated, they can't get out of it. And so, from something not so pleasant happening to me, I was able to realise my privilege in that situation and realise the power of supporting, if I could just do a small impact into the space of access to quality education, and yes, supporting female empowerment, but also supporting men at the same time, because I've spent a lot of time in India, and in 2016 when I ran across India, I realised it's not like a we've got to help the women from the men. So many times these boys commit these offences because they haven't had the opportunity from a young age to be in positive dynamics co-gendered. Girls aren't going to school, boys are going to school, you know, a more conservative style of environment impacts like the perception of each other. But you gain respect through mutually being in space with Mm -hmm. each other. Um, And so that's why I realise it's access to education for all, not just access to education for women. So, you know, when we ran across India, I always say we because it was my, like I was the one that ran, but like I had a team, like it's never just one person running across a country. Like you've got, I worked with World Vision, so I had my sectorial expert. I worked with the team, the World Vision in India. I had a team on the ground in Australia. I had crews of people that came out with me. So it literally was a we. Um, But we were exploring the various barriers to quality education that children face across India. And so when I was in kind of the the desert communities of Rajasthan, which is in the far west of the country, you know, it was obviously the, the far distance from where the family home was to where the school was. It was sheer extreme poverty where parents had to put their children in employment that we would consider to be ludicrous, like putting a child into the sex trait. Mm. Now, I remember when I first met some of these families, I was thinking... How can a parent think it's okay to to put their child in the sex trade? And then you sit down with them and they're like, if I don't put them in the sex trade, an employment where I can put them doing this business in an adjacent room to our house where I can monitor their safety, I either have to send them up to Mumbai to get money for the family and I don't know what's going to happen then, or they're going to starve because there's literally no food on the table. And then you kind of start to go... It's so much broader and complex than we can even understand here in Australia, because for most of us in Australia, it's not that dire. Our ability to access support services, whilst they not, might not be fantastic, they're far greater than that. You know, people don't fall through the, the cracks as much as they might do in a population like India, where it's just monumentally large. Um, When I was in like the urban centres, it's personal safety and protection or when it's in the Himalayas, it's, you know, access to food, it's food security. So these are all barriers to why a child might not go to school. So it's not just about like putting up a a good school and and improving the facilities. It's like getting to the root of it. So that's what we were trying to do and I can tell you hand on heart, I wouldn't have got through two weeks of the run across India if I wasn't doing it for why I was doing it and I hadn't created a close proximity to the purpose so every couple of days I visited communities at World Vision Support. I would meet these families, have conversations with them, and it was exhausting to stop, to pierce the bubble of the world of the run and meet with people and have a conversation about something completely different. But it's interesting how some levels of exhaustion can still fuel you mentally to allow your body to follow. And, like, the pain of that run... I mean, there's a documentary called Run India. It's like free and accessed on my YouTube. It's 43 minutes long. But like the first component of the documentary is just me, my body breaking. And I thought I trained so well for that project. Like I put a treadmill in a hot yoga studio. Um, my friend owned it. She gave me the keys. And so like at 9pm at night when class finished, I'd go in there, I'd turn off the light, I'd crank up the heat and I'd run for hours. You know, I did a lot of strength work to make my body super resilient and robust. Like I always think as a trail runner, you want to look like a mountain bike and not a road bike. I'm capable of taking the knocks and turns <laughs> along the way. I also like my mind to think like a mountain bike too, you know, not linear. Like it's always changing. Um, but then I got to India and I could not have prepared myself for that heat. It was like hundred percent humidity, 42 degrees, completely exposing the heat searing off, like the, the ground was, it just zapped every part of you. But the worst part was I was running on this camber to try and avoid getting hit by the cars that were driving very fast. Oh and so like I was running on a slope. I never thought... Oh, for 70Ks a day, I'm going to be running on on a slope. What's that going to do to my body? I hadn't adapted to that. So in the first two weeks, I looked like a patchwork doll. I had so much kinesiology tape on me. Like they could have just wrapped my whole face with kinesiology tape to keep my mind together. I remember like I was doing everything, but I was, again, state of overwhelm. This is not possible. This is not humanly, like this is not good. Like how can a person endure so much pain and get through this? And my mind didn't waver to wanting to do it, but I really did start to think, like, maybe it's just not, like, maybe this is just not, maybe I'm not capable of this. And then, like, I got some really good advice from a mate back home that, that he's like, walk, walk, Sam. Yeah. He's like, why are you running? Like, he's like, he's like, whilst your body is adapting, he's like, you know, you take time to adapt. Like, you don't train running 70 Ks a day. Like, you don't train running in 40 degree heat with like 100% humidity. He's like, slow the freaking pace, reduce the overwhelm. Yes, you're going to be out for more hours a day, but the intensity will drop. So I did, like, I remember I would always like walk definitely the first like four to eight Ks with my Indian team. And I used it as like a cultural experience where they would like tell me about like, it was pitch black because we'd start like at 3.45am and we lived in a camper van each night and they'd be like, okay, this town's like this, the language is like this. And I, it was time for us to bond as a team. Uh, And then I would sometimes like jog for a hundred metres. I would walk for 400 metres and I would repeat that for 70k. And I did that for probably a full week and before my body got back on track. And then by the like a final three weeks of the project, I have never been so strong as a runner. We were going back up Himalayan like communities more towards the east, past Darjeeling, you know, um, into a, a town called Shillong, and I was like back to being the mountain bike. And it's crazy because I literally had run over three and a half thousand kilometres in really trying circumstances, where the deliverable and demands that I had placed on myself to storytell and get content out was high and I was like a good rep- – a strong representation of what it looks like to be a female athlete in trying circumstances because I let myself adapt.
0: Incredible. And look, you drop your ego.
1: Drop the ego because it's like everyone's like you got to run because your project's called Run India, right? Mm-hmm. you got to run. Well, you try and run three and a half thousand kilometres in India. Like it doesn't – we – we are the ones that limit how something has to look. Like no one's telling – no one told me I had to run 3,500 Ks. Like no one's telling Ned that he has to run every single step as he goes across, you know, Australia. Um, and I think like that's the kind of sometimes that, that's the part that makes you relatable when you can tell people like I had to walk here. Like I wanted to run but it's just, it just didn't serve me, didn't suit the set of circumstances that were in front of me. Um, I've done a TED Talk and it's like literally about like the next best plan and like any of these projects or any of these dreams or aspirations, like people do a lot of work to get to a start line. But the the challenge is when all of a sudden all your prep doesn't simulate um, the circumstances that you're now facing. Um, and I think like the dropping of the ego, being adaptable, agile is the most important thing.
0: I didn't want to move on as well before. Sorry about the running um, $1.3 million. I have $1.3 million raised for various charities But well. I just wanted to make sure that was that was well known and organisations. That must be extremely make extremely proud as well, like having that impact.
1: Oh, a lot of that was for the relief run. Did did you ever hear about the relief run? No. So January twenty twenty, the the bushfire crisis was like at an all time high in terms of visibility all across Australia, and obviously like our country was on fire. Uh, And I was like so many other people that was thinking, what can I do? Like a lot of people had donated, a lot of people had, you know, given food, and I went for a run. Holy shit. And I just got married at the time, and I went for a run, and we were meant to go to bermagui to have our honeymoon, yep. which sounds like such a random place. So we're like, we're going to go to <laughs> <laughs> Um But then we, my, our guts were like, don't go to bermagui I think the fires are around there. The next day, the entire town got evacuated onto the beach, yep. and we're like, God, listen to your gut. So I went for this run, and I had this idea of like, oh, we've all got the same amount of times, but we have, um, we all have the same amount of time on this planet, but we all have various talents. What if I could really be clear of what my talents are and collaborate with people who have different talents? And I thought of this idea of this virtual running festival. Run over the week of the 11th to 13th of January. I love it how I still remember the pitch. 13th of January where people could run anywhere from a 5K to a half marathon. Any time of that weekend um, and we could use uh, – basically um, everyone could donate 50 bucks and it would go to the Australian Red Cross Bushfire Relief Efforts So in 36 hours, we created the entire website for it. I called my mate, Nick Davidson, who I basically pull into every project because he's just a freaking legend. Um, And I called him and I'm like, so what are you doing? And he's like, what do you want? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, your time and your talents. And we thought we could raise 40K. Like our goal was 200 people, 50 bucks, 40K. That would be awesome. Created this. I did one little video on my Instagram. Just was really. I was holding Harry. Was pulling my hair, and I said, "I've got this idea, guys. Who wants to come on board?" We launched the website at eleven p.m. at night, and the next morning when I woke up, we'd raised fifteen thousand. Wow! But it was all from people overseas. I was like, "Oh, wow!" By the end of that day, we'd raised over hundred k. By the end of twelve days, we raised one point one million dollars. We had no major backings, no major brands. Like we got Strava on board. Lululemon did a bit too. But like literally it was like mass micro donation and I didn't have to run across the country. I just literally allowed people to use their footsteps. People want to be a part of something. Yeah, They don't just want to watch someone live out their dream of extension. Like that, that helps, but they want to feel like they can play their role and feel like they're extended. And I think that's why the Relief Run, you know, did such a you know, had such a big impact in a short period of time.
0: Unbelievable. So good. Your next run, Mm -hmm. how can we support that?
1: Well, um, we're just about to release some of the inner workings behind and why we're doing it. We're looking actually at men's mental health. Oh, wow. um, Which might sound like ironic for three females to place that attention. I think think from
0: what your story earlier, like it has an
1: effect on everything. Yeah, because like if anybody has mental health challenges, it affects the entire community. Yeah. You know, um, you know. I've obviously I live with someone who has experienced mental health challenges through his professional career and it, like in different ways it affects us every single day mm. and we workshop it as a team. And I think as opposed to siloing off genders to think like this is a male issue or this is a female issue, like it's all of our issue and we all can combine our unique skill sets to support each other. So the run across Nepal is actually, I, you know, some people could call us professional explorers, but I actually call us like professional problem solvers. Yeah, I love that. And we're also like incredibly good at communicating and having hard conversations. And so, you know, I think we, we hope to create content uh, and a doco piece from it as well that is going to showcase that. Like we're not trying to over sensationalize, you know, what it means to be in these environments. Like the all is lost moment, like go to the adventure film festivals and watch multiple films about that. But ours is about like how do three people who are learning to build a relationship together, you know, problem solve in, in a quite a stre- extreme environment, but they can be quite moderate in how they choose to apro- approach it.
0: Love it. So cool. So many messages today, so many incredible messages, so many great anecdotes. I've learned honestly so much. If you could have one takeaway... It's hard to to grab it all in one. But if you had one takeaway, someone says, you know, I went and saw Sam talk or heard this in a podcast or this person about this one thing about Sam, one anecdote, one message to people, what would it be?
1: You're asking me to be succinct when I'm like the most unsuccinct person. Maybe that's what it is, yeah. (laughs) But it is okay, so there's a quote that I've lived a lot of my thought process behind and it's if you want something that you've never had, you have to do something that you've never done. So that's the first part. And so that's the idea of extension. But I also believe if you want to live a life of extension, your foundation of well-being has to be incredibly robust because we can't leap off shaky ground. And when we're extending into unfamiliar places, Mm. you are relying on your base of, like, well-being. And so many people overlook that. I think, again, I made a long story, but, you know, you want to create a new podcast, you want to create a film, you want to go for a promotion, and you're in, like, pressure mode. And so many people, like... That's the time when they're drinking too much. They're not sleeping enough because they're so amped up and they're working hard and they're in their passion and they're suffering for the good cause. But they neglect the things that allow them to mentally and cognitively function properly. And then they say to me, oh, I'm going to go to Fiji in three weeks. I'll, I'll sleep really great when I get to Fiji. I'm like, why? Like, you don't need to sleep well. You're expecting nothing of yourself. So, okay, if you want something that you've never done, You gotta do something if you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. But the flip side is You can't do that if you don't look after yourself. Yep. You can't do that if you don't look after yourself.
0: It's like the the age old uh, on a plane, right? You can't put you gotta put your mask on first before you put anyone else's on. Because if you can't breathe, you're not gonna be helping anyone else. Mm. You sound on a pilot when you put your mask on? Yeah,
1: I feel like I listened to a podcast about like the idea of like, you know, um, you know, how everyone's really f- – I agree with that. Yeah. And then this podcast made me think the other day of, like, we're living in this era of, like, self-care, self-care, but what about, like, shared care? Like, what's the balance of, like, we have to look after ourselves, of course, before we look after other people. But if we put so much emphasis on ourselves all the time, are we forgetting the fact that we're a part of our community and yeah. we're, we're never alone? We always can be positively or negatively influenced by other people.
0: Yeah. Well, the reason I I – So self-care was non-existent for me Mm. and the reason self-care is existent for me now, the only reason it has an effect on me is because I know if I look after myself, I'm a better person for the people I love. Totally. So I think that's- Yeah. And
1: I'm like, that was probably an extension just because I heard that the other day and it made me go, oh, like-
0: Because if it's for you, you don't care. Mm. Like if it's just for you, it's very hard to just look after yourself. Like if if you're the only one, like we love letting ourselves down. But you don't like letting people you love down or oh, like, the, or I'll the never, pause that you're doing something for.
1: Totally. Like I'll never let my son down. But yeah. in terms of like me making sure that I eat proper meals a day, like I can just, it can get to 3pm yeah. and I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten my food. But I would never not let Harry have his three meals.
0: Exactly. Love it.
1: Yeah. I love you. Oh, I love you. <laughs> you're the best.
0: Um, I, I seriously can't thank you enough for today. It's honestly been incredibly eye-opening. Um, love your story. Super incredibly inspirational. Love everything you're doing. Um, and yeah, just couldn't be more blessed to get you in the studio finally um, oh. on the podcast. I know how busy you are, so it's, it's it is really an honour to get you in. I don't say that lightly. It's been it's been unreal.
1: Oh I know, it's such a pleasure, and I was really stoked when you asked me. Um, and like, it's been nice to have a chat where we've gone in so many different tangential <laughs> kind of directions. <laughs> I hope that you're able to kind of like funnel this in a way that makes sense. No, and, um, we will. It's- so I. I have to apologize. I've had two coffees today in a short period of time, and sometimes that increases my yeah. pace of
0: speaking. No, we love it. We love it. We are coffee fiends here. Mm. Um, how can we stay involved with what you're doing? By the way, like, what's the best ways to just like keep up with it? Because you just can I just everywhere. say, yeah, you, you, you say that.
1: that. You say that a lot to people, and I'm always really impressed because you, genuinely, you sound like you mean that. I do. Yeah, not everyone does that. Like a lot of people might throw it out like how can we follow your stuff but you take it to the next level of like how can we follow your stuff and is there anything we can do to support? Mm -hmm. It's like really beautiful. Um, So I think the first thing is like I put a lot of stuff on. So at Samantha Gash, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram is probably the biggest place in terms of like the photo but the documentary um, of life, the documenting of life, the good and the bad and the in-between is shared there. You'll see our link for like her trails which is like that – If you're a female and you're looking to get on the trails, you can jump on there. Resilience motion is like the Nepal journey. So all of that's in my bio. Um, But I would say like um, we're going to be bringing out some initiatives to support mental health coming up, um, whether it's through the documentary, through a facilitated conversation, through an online course. Um, And as we're testing out content, like I'd love people to interact and engage with it um, because I think... It's a community that helps create what's needed for a community. It's not just like a professional problem solver that can work it all out. So any feedback um, and even like conversations on the topics that we've talked about today that people feel were relevant.
0: Yeah. Oh, they're all relevant. Um, Yeah. Book club as well?
1: I'm taking a pause because I can't um, do a book club and read a book whilst I'm going across Nepal. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Her trials as well. We haven't given a lot on that but. It's an incredible concept and one that we've both discussed um, off air before, but yeah, running in nature. Um, I feel like we could go a lot deeper into this, mm. but green for me, like being surrounded by green gives me like so much energy in life. Um, so I need to get into the trail running a bit more as well. I know I'm not welcome into that club, but I'll find another one.. Well, still-
1: you could just say you're um, gender neutral and yeah, then we would bring you in. Yeah. But um, do you know that like time in green spaces is now a driver to well-being?
0: I didn't know that, but I believe it.
1: And now they've said that it's you need to spend a minimum of two hours in green spaces to reap any of the benefits of that green space time. Right. So you don't just have to be running in green spaces to do it. Like you could literally consciously step outside and look at a tree and you kind of get that benefit of that driver to well wellbeing. Um, but obviously if you run at the same time, you're hitting the physical and um, the green spaces yeah. as well. But, I mean, even the environment's been brought on like the more time we spend in the environment we the more we want to protect the environment and the more the environment protects us so yeah. it's like it's like a whole ecosystem
0: it's super cool we so, can chat another it. time hey no I, I, this won't be the whether you like it or not actually, it probably won't be the last time you're here so um, we're definitely locking you in as soon as you get back yes. um for everything cuz we'd love to hear about how it all went but we're we're number one fans we're going to be there oh. we're going to be supporting we'll we'll do absolutely we can anyway and the reason you know we one weekend we, we want to be a part of it but two – I know how much the community will love your story and want to get involved and want to follow it. So awesome. So um, you're doing incredible things. We honestly can't thank you enough. Say hello to your husband for me.
1: I will. Can next time we do it, can um, if it's particularly after with the Nepal run, can yeah. we have like a pizza, yeah? Can we like eat pizza at the same time? We
0: have pizzas a lot. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, so like that's yeah. – I
1: reckon they would just – one, I'll need a fuel with like food and yeah. two, like I think it'd be a lot of fun.
0: Okay, we'll pick you up from the airport straight here. Yeah, yes, done. 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 Love it. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much. See you, mate. Incredible. Thanks for listening to another Producey podcast. If you enjoyed the show, that'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share with one of your friends, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to share feedback, suggest a guest or advertise with one of our podcasts, then email hello at com. Thanks for tuning in. Illy